Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist, and I'm a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens, powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, strength coach. I also run the new uh, Barbell Open, barbellopen.com. Right Check on. Check it out. Okay. We have with us uh, Oliver Harper, who is a university strength conditioning instructor, a bodybuilder, amongst other things. Oliver, maybe just say hi or explain yourself a little. Hey guys, yep, just a doctoral student, Kent State, uh, lifting enthusiast, strength enthusiast, all the above. Right on. Okay. Well, we're going to get into Oliver's origin story in just a minute. And then um, we asked Oliver to be on the show today because uh, we want to discuss how strength conditioning coaches get prepared. There's different paths to getting prepared and our university is doing a good job. I mean, we can't speak for all of them, of course, uh, but there's, as I think our listeners know, there's different approaches to getting educated on some of these things. So Oliver's been in the trenches with that sort of thing, and we're going to just pick his brain a little bit. But uh, let me start with, I have two little bits of news here. Strength and muscle sport news. I don't know if anybody's seen this one, but this particular one is from CNN by Karina Stores. It's entitled, Is One Minute of Exercise All You Need? Now, this is, you know, attention-grabbing headline, but this is work done by Marty Gibala. And I've I've known Marty uh, for a long time. It's not like we're close friends or anything, but he's a really good guy, and he's a very solid researcher. Anyway, uh, it says, Story Highlights, High-Intensity Exercise for One Minute could have health benefits similar to 45 minutes of moderate exercise. And it says, you know, it sounds like something that should be on an infomercial, but there's actual science behind it. It basically says, very rigorous, as in all-out cycle sprints. Um, I think they told the subjects, sprint on this bike as if you were in physical danger, you know. Um, But they took nine sedentary guys and they had them do the high-intensity cycling intervals. They were 20-second bursts uh, interspersed with two minutes of recovery. So they only did three intervals, so a total of one minute. Of course, they couldn't do 60 seconds all at once because we all know your <laughs> your Wingate performance is going to sag bad after uh, 20 or 30 seconds. So they split it up, and then they compared it to 10 uh, other guys who did a more traditional, continuous, moderate-style cycling for 45 minutes. Um, And at the end of 12 weeks, uh, Gabala's group actually, you know, those guys up at McMaster, they actually reported similar gains. Now, immediately I started thinking, well, what kinds of gains? You know, and this article doesn't go into gory detail, uh, but I think that's one of the things we need to be careful with. But it is true. There's been a real shift toward intensity. I mean, think about the popularity of dragging and pushing, you know, prowlers and sleds and this kind of stuff and it's sort of along those lines and marty called this quote the most intense flavor of interval training close <laughs> quote uh, and again it was three 20 second bouts separated by 
um, two minutes. Uh, uh, Let's see. There has been a flurry of interest over the last 10 years in comparing high-intensity interval training with moderate-intensity continuous types of exercise, according to uh, Dr. Gabala. So, and of course, they lay down some of the basics, too, here, like the American Heart Association. They recommend 150 minutes of moderate exercise or about half that much vigorous exercise every week uh, for healthy people, even more if you have high blood pressure or you want to change your cholesterol. But the idea that you could do basically cycle sprints um, just a couple of times a week, you know, that only add up to a a few paltry minutes, uh, were probably very near the bottom end of getting benefits at all. And, of course, they had other experts weigh in, and one of them was saying, well, you might miss out on some of the mental benefits of uh, longer duration exercise and that kind of thing. And sure you might, like I said, it really depends what we, what you mean by gains. Um, but I do think it's interesting that there's a lot of, um, aerobic conditioning that happens in, in the recovery interval between the intervals, right? Obviously it's all anaerobic and different energy systems when you're sprinting, but those two minute rest periods. And even afterwards, there's a lot of oxygen use and, and, you know, elevated metabolism and aerobic, Benefits, And I think that surprised a lot of Exodus people early on, right? Like, how can you do all anaerobic work and we see classic adaptations that look like you're aerobically fit? You know, different heart function, capillaries, mitochondria, uh, whatever it might be. So anyway, yeah, that's just back in the news. And then I have one weird little bit before we get to Oliver here. Uh, This is from labmanager.com. In fact, um, I just saw a tweet that was requesting, hey, where do you get all these news feeds? So I just listed some of them. But I usually refer to them when I give them on air anyway. But biologists map genetic pathways behind nutrition-based species traits. Now, this is this is pretty much in left field. But what caught my eye when I want to share with everybody is the power of, of nutrition in causing physical change by Indiana University. Um. Biologists at Indiana University have significantly advanced the understanding of the genetic pathways that control the appearance of different physical traits in some species depending on the nutrition conditions in their environment. Uh, So they looked at different species. This is a focus on beetles and like the horns on beetles. And they actually show a picture here with two beetles with very different size horns. (laughs) Sounds funny, but... um, It says, in many animals, nutrition, not genetic differences, controls the appearance of physical traits. Uh, Ants and bees, for example, grow into workers or queens based on the food they eat as larvae. So this, I think, plays maybe even more impact in young people. You know, like, how are you eating as you first develop training? Phil, I know when you work with young people, I mean... It, there's almost a food guide pyramid, even on the training side, where you want to like lay down a basis of, you know, agility and coordination and athleticism. Yeah. Uh, whereas too often we we focused on specific skills like shooting a three pointer. Mm-hmm. When these kids they can't even like backpedal or run backwards or move laterally, you know, and stuff like that. So yeah. I I think some of this is like uh, developmentally important too. Uh, It says the exact genetic mechanisms that connect an individual's development, development fate to nutritional conditions have been poorly understood. And uh, I guess that's what all this is about. And I'm not going to bore anybody with all the gory details, but they call this part of the hedgehog signaling pathway. And I can, again, people can just go check this out. 
uh, if they want. But um, it, it's cell-signaling pathways. It says, together, these pathways form a part of a relay system that transmits information about external circumstances, such as nutrition, to the cell's nucleus where decisions are made about gene expression. So, uh, and they, this is not the first time they've actually looked at the nutrition conditions grossly affecting the physical characteristics of an organism. It says many organisms use cues uh, and have different thresholds. That's, that's sort of another part of this piece is the, the idea that there are thresholds, sort of pressures that, pressure points maybe in some of these pathways that you can trigger different development. Uh, they were saying like different, um, you know, winter versus summer for coats and Arctic foxes. I mean, they go down a whole big list of different things. But I'm only bringing it up again. I know it's in left field, but um, when they're actually suggesting the power of nutrition to turn on parts of your blueprint, I mean, literally. So, I mean, some of these animals, <clears throat> they look grossly different depending on their nutrition conditions. And I think that has obvious parallels with bodybuilding and powerlifting, you know. Oh, yeah. Because you always hear about, oh, I, I lack the genetics. You know, I don't have gifted genetics. Well, this would say, so what? You know, turn on the genes that you need turned on. I mean, obviously, they have to be there. But, yeah, I, I mean, I, it, it sort of underemphasizes genetics and, and uh, brings new power, I think, to nutrition. Because I'm telling you, I'm looking at these beetles, and this one thing is huge. It's got this huge, scary <laughs> horn. And the, the other one is is embarrassing <laughs> by comparison yeah. and i get that that's beetles not people but you know you just hear about genetics so much in strength and muscle sports so well, i mean i can tell you just as a, a father of a 11 month old now i mean that's something we've thought about a lot is just how you know giving him the best start we can right oh you know, yep as a, opposed to feeding him okay it's rice cereal time you know is like the first food a lot of people do um you know, since he was four months old, he's been having avocados and egg yolks and grinding up meat and tons of vegetables um, and things like that. And it's just yeah. trying to give the best start to to something in life, right? You know? Yeah. So we gave my own son, who's now twenty, uh, when he was an infant. Uh, I was giving him fish oils uh, yeah. in his infant formula, and people thought I was crazy. And all I'm saying is, now what, bitches? <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. because formulas have DHA in them, yeah. and uh, because there was clear studies. I mean, enough to have a consensus that babies that got omega three fats outperformed babies who did not on physical and mental tasks. Well, I'm like, well, let's do, be very cautious, but let's look into yeah. that. Yeah. You know, exactly. And you're right. I mean, especially according to this study, could we be building, um, you know, with the right nutrients? Uh, creating a nervous system that maybe maybe the child wouldn't have otherwise developed because you missed mm -hmm. some window. Yeah, you know, exactly. You know. yeah. So cool stuff. Okay, well, thank you, Oliver, for your patience. I know that you're in a uh, tight schedule this morning. Uh, let's, let's start with your origin story because um, you're uh, obviously a bodybuilder-type physique. I mean, even if you don't um, – well, depends. I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth. So maybe just share with everybody uh, how you got started with the weights, whether it's academically or you know personally or whatever. All right. Uh, I remember this was probably if I started lifting weights seriously, um, sophomore year of high school. I got cut from every sport. At that point, I had tried out for. I was I was husky, a little meatball guy. And I remember looking up to the other athletes that are doing, I remember one, 135 bench press was like, that was the gold standard to be someone who exercised. 
and I could barely put tens on the bar and move it. So I think I was I kind of aspired to that. And after getting cut from, I think it was baseball, um, and it hit the weights. I didn't know what I was doing. It's moving stuff around and getting bigger and stronger, lifting my buddy's basement. Um, but then past that, I kind of enjoyed, you know, you read the muscle mags, all the, the articles they have, and they, they have a little bit of science in there. So I thought, if I'm going to go to higher education, why not, you know, be one of these people who has you know, the brain power to rattle off all these pathways and all the muscles and all the fiber types. Then I went to um, college, learned more about how to actually you know, program your lifting. I think it's kind of where it took off was the beginning of college. Having a, having a plan made all the difference in the world to just being a bro in the weight room, slamming stuff off the floor. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. That's that. My, my, my main interest, I love the science of programming. I think that's the most interesting part because that is, to me, kind of the, the bread and butter of strength training. If you don't have a, pr- a plan, a point A to a point B, you're kind of just you're spinning your wheels. Yeah, it's remarkable how many people... I, I once heard an analogy about getting in your car without a destination, and that's how people lift. Right. You know, they just pull out of their driveway and they just kind of drive around in circles or randomly, and then they wonder why they don't reach their destination. You know, yep. but so uh, was there? Um, obviously, there must have been a personal connection with you. I mean, so the academics, because I mean, I, I know Oliver won't toot his own horn, but Oliver's a, a very hypertrophied dude, very muscular dude, bodybuilder type physique. So obviously you've used some of this for your own benefit. I mean, maybe share a little bit about the the personal connection versus purely academic interest. I mean, that's just the beauty of, of watching you know the, the the fruits of your labor. Um, for example, like, I like I love powerlifting. It is adding on that that, that one more a five or even a two and a half. It's kind of just self glory. And you sit in the shower thinking about yeah, I picked up a, a new rat five hundred pounds off the floor. How many people can say they did that on their own plan? Like or, they just. Yeah. Walked in the gym, just did it. Right. I think it's, it's, you know, it's kind of that way to live in your own moment. Right on. Well, I, I also want to talk to you about your approach, and we're going to kind of bleed into the topic. So maybe we we could just go to a little bit early break here. But uh, your approach with teaching that to other people, because as you mentioned, you're a doctoral student, so you're you have an advanced state of understanding of these things, and uh, you know, I want to talk a little bit about how you share that understanding with you know, students that want to become strength conditioning coaches or, or benefit themselves. So let's go to early break. And then when we come back, uh, I've got, oh, half a dozen questions here. And Phil is going to be very valuable in this discussion, too. So it'll just be sort of a free-for-all like it always is, I guess. But uh, we'll be back in just a bit. Hey, listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what, uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, There's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein 
and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit royalty on the book. But that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, You can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, It's Lonman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So – Uh, Whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everybody, we're back. It's Phil and Lonnie, and we have Oliver Harper with us. Uh, And we're going to ask him a few things about being in the trenches uh, with strength conditioning students. So uh, I've got a couple of questions here that I mentioned before the break. And let's start with something positive, Oliver. Um, In your experience doing some laboratory activities and things like that, what are undergraduate students that are in the strength conditioning class, what are they what are they good at? Uh, well, I think the thing I liked the most was they're they're hungry. They're this is their most exciting moment is to be able to touch some weight in a, in the classroom setting. Um, so they all have all these ideas, a lot of input, a lot of feedback. That's what I kind of thrive off that when I, when I run my lab is I, if I'm going to ask them questions and ask them to be involved, they're relatively involved for, for the most part. Which that's that's half the battle is getting engagement. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I always felt, and again, if a little bit of background for people, when I teach strength conditioning, I tend to teach the textbook side, the biology and physiology side, um, and not so much the coaching side, right? Because I always emphasize with them, there's a coaching aspect to this stuff, uh, and you have to be able to read cues, you know, from other people. I mean, it's one thing to follow cues in yourself. You have sort of proprioceptors and uh, you can feel the bar you can feel if something's right or wrong at least after a while but that's a whole different skill set if you want to coach other people right so that's one of the reasons that when i teach strength conditioning i try to bring in someone who has a little bit more experience uh training other people from a pure strength conditioning you know aspect with the cues and all that but phil you had mentioned something that you read an article about the balance between what was it between the physiology and the and the hands-on stuff? Yeah, or? well, there was just an article recently somebody put out where the where most universities are missing the the ball on this, and 
that they were the two, two, two things they were mainly missing was like a heavy emphasis in um, biology and sciences like that and then also just <laughs> time in the weight room it's like that everybody going in there for the strength and conditioning degree is basically more or less getting a, a PE degree where they're able to teach you know elementary phys ed classes instead of actually somebody that's ready to actually step into a strength and conditioning role um, so they're just ne- never getting enough of the, uh, you know, the hands-on and then the tough sciences, I guess. And the, 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 the degrees are a bit dumbed down. And, yeah, by far, they're just never getting enough time in the weight room where they're actually learning how to, to coach masses. You right. Well, I can tell you from, from my experience, the, um, the way that we do it is we have an, a graduate school track where students are going to go on to graduate training in some way, you know, an advanced degree. And then we have applied track and the applied track students must take strength conditioning, whereas the graduate track, even if they're going to use resistance training in their rehab or they become a you know a physician's assistant or a physical therapist or something, they don't have to have it. So in a sense, we're actually, I mean, you have to be careful not to make the applied track the dumbed down track, but there is a little bit less science preparation in usually in those applied tracks. You know, they might only have to have one chemistry instead of two or three, mm-hmm. uh, one or two biologies instead of three or four. You know, that sort of thing. Um, one thing I will say that's positive about it, though, is unlike what you see, like, in lay, uh, I don't even want to call it coaching, you know, because that belittles what you do, Phil, but what you see on the Internet with these sort of lay trainers and whatnot is they just start putting people on these cookie-cutter kinds of programs before they do any assessments. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I think the undergrads usually do, even by the time they're just sophomores, is they have some understanding that we better get some type of baseline assessments. Uh, you know, it, maybe it's something as simple as a one rep max so we can take a mm-hmm. percentage of it or uh, a basic functional movement screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, do they lack the agil- the um, mobility or the flexibility to actually sit down with a bar on their back? You know, and so there's a, they usually come into it with this idea that there has to be some type of testing before you start prescribing um, but at the same time, like Oliver said, they really – they are chomping at the bit. Like a lot of times, even in my lecture hall class, uh, they want to start the class learning the Olympic lifts. And I'm like, listen, I mean, this is the academic portion of the show, everybody. You know, we got to look under the hood. And we if, if you can't tell me what the major prime mover muscles are, like if I start talking about how this is affecting your traps or your rhomboids instead of your lats, I need you to be on board with that, you know, or what energy system are we training, you know, and that kind of stuff. And they just want to get straight to the rubber hits the road without, of you know, a lot of the um, academic prep, I think. But Oliver, what about you? I mean, if you had to pick some weaknesses in what they have, because I mean, university training is supposed to be, you know sort of a, a gold standard as you move toward being a professional, but what were they lacking? Definitely, they they honestly didn't know why they were doing what they were doing. If I had them, for example, I was like, we have a you know, boxer, heavyweight, he needs to work on his endurance for an upcoming fight, he has six months to do it. I'm like, I'm giving them all all this, these tools laid out, and they have they don't know where to start. Like, they don't know why, why they assess, how they assess endurance, what, what else do they need to work on, they don't understand energy systems, I guess, applied practically, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. I think is kind of a huge point for strength and conditioning. If you have an athlete who's a sprinter only, I can be running them for miles and miles and miles. So the, the abettos don't have, I guess, the 
foresight of why why things are happening for certain reasons. Yeah, I think it's it's like physiology, but it's applied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, evoking that for a, a client's benefit. You know, it's one thing to right. look at a graph overlapping energy systems chart. Right. No, I get you. So, what are your thoughts about uh, how much of this should be hands on? versus physiology in the classroom. I mean, are you a fan that they should have, uh, you know, a mandatory 40 or 100 hours in a training facility or off campus? Or how do you feel about that kind of stuff? I'm 100%. I feel like you don't, you can't fully appreciate, you know, what you're trying to accomplish unless you've physically done it, I think. You can read all the books in the world, but until, you know, you're standing there with 25 athletes looking at you, wondering what you're going to do next. You don't, you're not really prepared. Yeah. And if you were working underneath a strength coach who's uh, going to rub you the wrong way, that, that's what you're getting into. If you don't like getting smacked on the wrist, you should have that experience of you know getting chewed out in front of a whole bunch of athletes for not setting up the racks right. Right. So I think there's there's more things to accomplish in in the practical um, in the field than than just I guess learning specifically like you know energy systems and muscles and all that. Right. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of this stuff that's important. I mean, Phil and I have had this conversation many times, and something Phil says that I, I have a huge respect for is I, a coach needs to be able to tell an athlete why he's asking them to do something. Like, well, we're, we're working on this energy system, or we're going to you know, try to boost your testosterone a little bit with these heavy loads. or You know what I mean? So whether it's endocrinology or, or some of the biochemistry, just even if it's simplified, uh, or, yeah, or the anatomy, uh, all that stuff's huge. Let me ask you, though, Phil, so the flip side is because you have a, a facility where the rubber does hit the road, mm-hmm. um, how do you address more of the biology side? Do you just sort of um, explain it as you go along, or is it so much focused on the how, there's less on the why, or how do you do that? As far as, like, somebody I have bringing in that, that wants to be a strength coach? Well, or somebody, even if they wanted to, to do it themselves, but they were they were looking for that education uh, of, <laughs> you know honestly most of the time i don't have time to go in that so i'll point them in the right direction but like right now i have two students that are um well one just graduated one is in the midst of of uh university education and um you know i they're 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 smart enough i guess and with a little too this from me they're actually t- making it in their own time they're both like interning with me all summer and as much as they can during the school year so they're getting their their formal book in biology education where they should at a freaking university right. from doctors yep. like yourselves. And then they've taken their own, you know, they don't get anything out of it aside from just, you know, further education and they're spending as many hours as they can shadowing me. So, yeah. And then we'll just, whatever topic comes up, I will help explain that from the applied side. You know, when we have time, like, what are we doing here? Oh, we're, we're doing this. You know, Julie has, so-and-so problem and we're trying to address that whatever right know? so it's almost a case study <clears throat> you know, like a case study approach like in, in a academic classroom i might say here's this scenario mm-hmm. and like oliver said though sometimes they don't even know where to begin so they learn yeah. they learn individual facts but they need to be taught almost how to link them together into a real person into a case example you know yeah like, and they're pretty lucky i guess at my place because i'm i have everybody from like I had three new people start this week, so they're able to see, okay, this is how we get somebody started, you know. And to you know, people at the elite level, you know, I got two twenty guys squatting eight hundred pounds, and uh, down to a injury, you know, I have people that are injured, people that have 
you know, physical ailments, things like that, where we're doing more prehab rehab type of stuff. Yeah. So you're, they're getting kind of an education across the board. And what I'll do is just, uh, okay, you're handling them today. Here's what they need to do. And here's why. Um, and you got to learn how to, a big part of it is just learning people. You know, there are some, you got to treat every person different. You know, some people really need to be coddled a bit, um, at least for a while. And then there's other people I can just push, you know, and you treat each individual different. And it's learning as a coach how those athletes need to be treated. You know, yeah. I get to my higher level people and they're like, man, I don't feel like doing it today. Well, shut up and just do it, dude. It's your job. Right. You, know, you have high goals. You know, so right. you need to buck up and get under that bar and let's do it. Whereas, you know, somebody that's just in there to get. I, w- I wouldn't do that to, like, you know, I have a little girl, Marin, who has some, some physical ailments. Well, no, she's going to have bad days and good days. And on her bad days, we need to we need to back off because we could actually hurt her. Yeah, you know? you're right, yeah. So um, that sort of goes back, at least like that. in a way, to what Oliver was saying about, you know, some of these students, even if they they have some of the anatomy or, or endocrinology or whatever they've learned um, they need to be in front of people, too, because sometimes, obviously, there's individual. Mm-hmm. Well, that's always going to come down to there's going to be some element of individual, but even groups, too. Like, Oliver, yeah. so you got a room of people stand, standing and staring at you, mm-hmm. and you're supposed to take what you know about, you know, adaptations and physical changes in the body and all this stuff and invoke that. Like, motivate yeah. all of them or, you know, keep their attention as a group. Keep them busy. You know, so there's not as much downtime or wasted mm-hmm. time or, or whatever. And, yeah, and I don't know. I, in some ways, that is kind of PE, you know, like how do you circle up in the weight room and everybody can see me kind of thing. Yeah. But there's, um, uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, even if you're an athlete yourself, that doesn't mean that you can necessarily motivate other people. Yes. You know. Yeah, and there's there's an art in doing it. And then other than that, I mean, it's honestly just cues upon cues upon cues and been and then you get into the olympic lifts and you know these you see these people and they're like what are you looking at why are you telling them to fix that i mean it's so minute the changes that can that need to be made that it takes it takes time to just be able to see it you know? yeah you have to watch thousands of lifts to even know what the hell you're looking at because honestly it's a very complex lift that happens in like 1.4 seconds yeah you know? yeah so um yeah, maybe yeah. maybe we've lost a little bit of that mentorship kind of. You know, it used to be people did always they would do an apprenticeship. You want to be a a butcher, you apprentice with the butcher. You want to be a carpenter, a, a, you know, apprentice with the carpenter, and you and you learn a lot of the nuances. Yeah, sort of as a junior on the job guy, and that would that, I think that's where maybe university academics could go wrong is when there's not enough of that apprenticeship involved. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Oliver when. What would, as far as the way you were trained yourself, I mean, to get to where you are, um, how are the students different? I mean, when you when you got a classroom of students and you got to emphasize, you know, a particular physiological fact or training method in the classroom or whatever in the lab, um, how do you handle that? Do you handle it differently than the way you were taught, or similarly, or or what? Yes and no. I think when I was kind of on the other end, we had GAs that were awesome. And they have actually a handful have gone on to be um, trained coaches, work with like mixed martial arts teams, and they're, they're big deals now. So luckily I had a pretty a pretty good base. Um, they made it fun, and that's why I wanted it to be. I kind of like the pressure of, hey, you come do this thing that we're all talking about while everyone watches you. So I like, I like 
breaking them into groups because they're super timid. These all these students are they're just nervous just standing up in the same classroom with people sitting down for some reason. And I don't know. I've I've always been kind of uh, boisterous, outgoing. I don't really get embarrassed easily, so I'm not. I guess the the uh, I'm the exception, not the rule. So I, I understood that these people are terrified to be doing anything in front of other people. So I mm-hmm. break them into groups, and um, I overcoach. I was the one thing that was beaten to me early was overcoach everything because if you don't say it and it goes wrong, it's on you. So I would, even though they know these things, I would just reiterate, reiterate, reiterate. I like to, you know, every every couple minutes, ask kind of similar questions on the same track. Like, why are we doing this? What energy system? You know, is this working? So I like yeah. them to be moving and then kind of pepper in the the, the nerd stuff because I'm a nerd. I love the information. I love the science, and I know that they probably don't care for it, especially when we're doing you know, repeated wind gates. Hey guys, why are we doing wind gates? I can't breathe. I'm dying. Help me. Right, yeah. And then it gives you an opportunity, though, to say, you know, this is what it feels like. This is what overtaxing the anaerobic system, you know, actually right. feels like, you know, stuff like that. Um, it's, it's funny, we, we were doing a different programming um, uh, in the classroom kind of thing, and <laughs> I had them make a program for a running back. And like, he, he needs to get stronger. Let's make a, like a, a month spread for his strength training program and how it evolves and in the off season. And I remember a few groups wrote five by five, some generic protocol at 95% with 45 seconds rest. <laughs> so oh. yeah. And I said, I don't think you've ever held 95% of your max. Because yeah. if you're doing it for five reps, that's not 95%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we took them to the weight room, and we had them, had them work up to about 95%. And I was like, okay, pick that up five times, and then with less than a minute, do it again one more time. <laughs> That's brilliant, right? Have them do it. Now You're right. I'm like, if, if you haven't been under the bar, you can't possibly apply what, what you know or think you know, you know to somebody else's program. Right. Yeah. You know, I think they learned something in an academic, like from the textbook, like, oh, heavy loads with shorter rests might be good for hormonal surges. And then they do something like that, not realizing right, that it's... Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and that right there is proof to why, like, I just made the decision about two years ago i will not hire anybody that hasn't worked as an athlete under my system for more than like two years so they just know it you know they've had to live through it yeah <laughs> before right. before they get a chance to start to coach it you know yeah it just it makes sense i mean because those kids had no clue you know they've never felt what that feels like and they you know i know these people do <laughs> you know they know oh yeah. Phil had me do 70% for 30 freaking reps. That sucks. But, <laughs> right, it <know>. sucks. <laughs> they need to learn what so, sucks. <laughs> so I won't have them do 80 for 30 because that would be stupid. You know? <laughs> right. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I see a lot of parallels. I, I got the same thing when I taught uh, in nutrition departments, which is they would try to jam every nutrient into a meal. And you look at the meal plan and you're like, no one in their right mind would eat this. You know what I mean? Like peanut butter on salmon or, or what? You know, because <laughs> all they're trying to do is get all the nutrients in there. And it's like, just like you with, you know, have them, Oliver, having them, you know, do it in the gym. I feel like saying, okay, you're going to eat that now. <laughs> you know, smart ass. It meets all the nutrient requirements, but let's see if you can comply with this hideous concoction, you know. <laughs> it, 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 you're, and again, this is such parallel with the with the weights, you know, but. Now, Phil, 
you got more of what I would call almost that old school apprentice model, right? I mean, so much of it depends on the quality of your mentor when it comes to that, I would yeah. think. But I, you've got to be able to pick up nuances in that way that you wouldn't in, in a, maybe a more sanitized university system. You know what I mean? Because like, I can tell you, like when it comes to performance-enhancing drugs and stuff – uh, some of the very, very rated G cautious things that I would say, um, they start getting a little uncomfortable. Someone will talk about it. I mean, don't get me wrong, but um, they do not have uh, maybe a real world, you know, sort of understanding of, of stuff like that. Yeah. Um, well, and like I was saying, I mean, I think not to say my gym's the best thing in the world. But I think it's a good place for people to start just because we are so varied. You know, I mean, I, I literally do have everything from PT to strength and conditioning to pure endurance to, you know, I have it all going on. And the weird thing is it's all going on at the same exact time. So they have to learn how to, you know, holy crap, I got 17 different people and they are literally doing 17 different things. Different goals. And I need to know how to, you know, be the ringleader to this. Um in one moment. And then the other thing I do is I push all these people to, um, and it's probably a little different than what other people do. I want them to go learn from other people. Um, because I think that's where I did it best is I didn't, you see these people, they go intern with somebody and all they do is become a carbon copy of that person. It's like, here's, you know, they become the exact same thing and they, they have the same exact cues and they try to work the same way. And, uh, you know, the way I did it was I traveled around the freaking world and tried to learn from as many people as I could. And then you slowly come up with your own system um, or your own way of thinking. Mm -hmm. um, so while they're doing stuff with me, it's like go down and spend a, a weekend with freaking Shane Hammond and, you know, shadow him and then go over here and go learn from as many people as you can. Because that's where you start picking up things. And, you know, that's where you get 10 million different cues for the so many varied people you're going to get. Right on. And, uh, you know, trying to learn as much as you can from as many varied sources as possible. That was always so. the, some, the thing that I sort of, again, why I would try to bring in other people to do a lot of the coaching aspects, right? Because, yeah. you know, the, there's cl two clear sides to this. One is the physiology. If you want to understand how people's bodies adapt, you have to understand nutrition and physiology. But mm -hmm. that that's not the same field at all as coaching. Coaching is a whole other major, mm -hmm. you know. And when it comes to stuff like cues and reading individual cues in other people or – you know, both you guys have talked about working with other people, teaching other people, or being in small groups. I mean, you've just got to have lots and lots of exposure to that, so you start to realize, oh, this guy just lacks flexibility. That's why his heels are coming up, or he's not engaging, you know, his posterior chain in this, or you know, your lats aren't even part of this, dude. That's all yeah. biceps, you know, stuff, stuff like that. And I, I've always just felt like that's the kind of stuff where you do need that coaching uh, apprenticeship. For you know, hundreds of hours, eventually thousands of hours, so you can see these nuances, and that's frankly the coaching side and all those cues. That's not my field. Well, yeah, and I think it's also a big part of it is too teaching them to be humble and learn that it's okay to like uh, <laughs> send somebody somewhere else. You know, you don't know everything. I don't know everything there is to know about physical therapy. I'm not a physical therapist. If I have a person that I can't fix their issue, I refer out to people I know that do that more than I do. You know, if you want to come in and you, you're an athlete and you're healthy and you're ready to make me, you need to get stronger and better, that's my job. That's mm -hmm. what I do. If you are genuinely injured, 
Well, you know, if we got something, if it's a little tweak or things like that, sure, I can help you out. Let's get it fixed. But if we got something major going on, it's like I'm sending you to a doctor and to a physical therapist. Right. Make a re- the referral. That's Yeah. I'll refer out for and some a lot of people don't do that. I can fix anything. Well, no, you can't, man. That's not your job. Oh, yeah. So, we, we could. Well, I'm sure we've had long discussions about scope of practice and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All, all these different licensed or certified professions, most of them, they want to expand their scope of practice. So you start mm-hmm. seeing strength coaches getting so far into the soft tissue stuff. I'm like, I don't know. I think that's massotherapy. That's mm-hmm. that's a separate license, or or yes. like you said, physical therapy or and, movement yeah, screens. Frankly, I don't have the time for that now. When I had four people, okay, I'll sit down and read a book and figure out what it takes to fix you. But now it's like <laughs> right. <laughs> Go to John. He'll fix you. Come back when you're ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, Oliver, let me ask you this. Uh, what about the physicality of of your university students? Are, do you, are you a believer that if they move toward this as a profession or even just an advanced practitioner, you know, what are some of the – physical requirements should we have physical requirements for these undergrads i mean are they tough and capable or or not or is there a huge mix they think they're they're much tougher than they are i don't <laughs> okay. think they've been they've been like pushed by somebody else in in a strength manner they have I, and i've had them write down you know, their goals and the workouts they're doing currently and i went on and flipped through them and it's, it's literally, it's Instagram workouts, four by 12 with 20 pound dumbbells. And it's just, it's super specific to, to do nothing. They're accomplishing nothing. And I don't think they've ever had a, a goal concrete enough to work hard enough, you know, to get there. Mm-hmm. So a, a lot of them, I, I don't call them soft, but yeah, <laughs> I, I wrote a workout and I, I had them write their own workouts for if they were to get to a different goal. And then I was like, surprise, you're doing that workout today. And a lot of them, I was just so much belly aching. Well, I made it tough because you thought this would get you, you know, to where you thought you'd go. <laughs> so it, it was funny how, I love how they would just run away from a challenge that yeah. I'm like, you created this. If you if you can't do it, why would somebody else do it? Yes. And if you have an athlete who's trying to squat 800 pounds, if if you can't even be a person who can spot that comfortably, if you're not mm-hmm. strong enough, you know, to be in the mix, then I don't think you're cut out for it. Yeah. Yeah, I think mental toughness is is a huge component. Mm-hmm. You know, if I have to do even like a wall sit, sit on the wall for five minutes, and they're going to be shaking and sweating. But I feel like a lot of students would just bow out because they're just used to instant gratification. They're like, I'm just going to be done. Mm-hmm. I don't have to do it. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think there's there's such a wide spectrum. You know, you'll get sometimes the occasional gifted athlete in the mix, and then you'll get some of the ones like maybe they are opting to take this and they're going to be a physical therapist one day and they're so clinically and academically oriented that they are frankly they're soft. I mean, you can see it in their build in in their lack of ability to I mean, even do the most fundamental kinds of things, you know. So I, I know it's very sticky and maybe politically incorrect to say we should have physical standards. I mean, that came up actually in our program a couple of years ago is should we have fitness standards for our major, you know. And But that is just loaded with a lot of political backlash in a lot of ways. Because, again, if somebody's like, listen, I'm just going to be an athletic trainer. I'm not going to be – I mean uh, – Physical therapist, let's say, I'm not going to be spotting somebody squatting 800 pounds. Um, okay, I get that, but I, I, I don't know. It, it's just one of those very tough to deal with kinds of things. You like Phil in your facility, you can just, you know, 
have expectations. People have different goals, but physicality is an expectation. Like, nobody comes well, to see yeah. you just to learn it cerebrally and watch. No, and I think also, I mean, you. if I didn't train, if I didn't lift, I'd, I'd lose some credibility right off the bat. It's like, this dude is a marshmallow, and he's asking me to do this. He wouldn't do it himself. And they, they all know. Marshmallow. You know, I mean, most of them have seen me like, oh, wow, okay, he just did 405 for a set of freaking 20 and about puked. Okay, well, maybe I'm not so tough. You know, I yeah. better do what he said. You yeah. know, it's like I'm, he's not afraid to do it himself. I mean, the only people different right now are my new people, and that's because I'm nursing a, a hamstring that was literally torn off the bone. So all they've seen me do is walk around and bark orders. But um, they know it's for a reason. But you, know you still I mean? got the senior students, if you will, or senior athletes yeah, saying, like, oh, you know, you don't understand. Up. Phil's a badass. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> shut up and do what he says. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think just, just the, as the cred street cred i guess is what you'd call it you know you got to have that because if not you're gonna you're gonna lose people right away it's like man this guy's asking me to do stuff that he wouldn't do and i won't ask my people to do anything that that i wouldn't be willing to do myself if i had that same goal and they know it right you know? lead from the front <laughs> so yeah of, yeah yeah, so. yeah i uh, that's one of the reasons I asked Oliver to, Oliver to be on too, because I'm sure they were students. Because I've had a couple of students, and Oliver, I didn't even share this with you, but sometimes they'd sit in my office and they would make a comment about, you know, like uh, Oliver's very thickly built, you know. And I mean, to me, that's it's it's it is credibility. You're right, Phil. I mean, it's it's like silent resume, you know, a yeah. little bit like, you know, yeah. even even if you're you're not. Let's face it. I mean, I don't mean parade around. Quite the opposite, actually, but just quiet physical competence. Um, people see that, you know, people, they get that. I think. I mean, that'd be like going to the, I'm not going to go to the nutritionist. That's 350 pounds, you know, in the wrong way. And, and that's, I mean, they might know a lot, but I'm telling you just that (laughs) it tells you a lot. I mean, if they're not willing to do their own thing, if you're a freaking nutritionist and your job is to like, I'm asking you to get me bodybuilding ready. And you're like 180 pounds overweight in a bad way. Maybe I probably won't choose you. It's true. You know, I've seen and, too many that are either overweight or emaciated and dried up and undernourished type. Yeah. You know, and again, not all. Of course, not all dietitians are like yes, that. But exactly. it does. And you're right. I mean, but it does beg the question. Well, what if I'm not jacked myself? I don't know this stuff. What What yeah, happens when I get older? And that's listen. There's a balance here. Nobody's saying that there's not some balance here. But it, it certainly helps when you can silently demonstrate with your physique even yes. or you know or your performance mm-hmm. uh like if somebody were to say you do it oliver and you know <laughs> without hesitation just get under the bar and you know go up and down a couple times with 315 and say watch your butt here do this do that and they're left with their jaws hanging open because they sure can't do that mm-hmm. you know that kind of stuff so yeah and i'm not saying i'm i'm reaching that stage now i'm getting old and i've got athletes that are better than me now and that's yeah. okay, but they know, you know, I've been there, I've done that. That's right. And, you know, and I am old now, so. It's an adjustment, um, but, you know, there's always yeah. these guys that can't let go. You know, yeah. I saw a bodybuilder guy in the coffee shop the other day. He looked like he was probably mid-50s, and, you know, good on him. Yeah. But uh, there were certain things where I think you kind of, it's almost a little bit more mature to move on a little bit. Like, you know, the guy's like fake tan, you know, just overdoing every aspect of the, the fitness thing. And I'm like, did you, I don't know, did you not grow up a little or something? <laughs> I don't know. But it, it's just one of those sort of, uh, 
you know, as you move along, you always value those things. They're part of your salient identity. They're part of who you are, but you don't feel the need to advertise them constantly. Uh, I don't know. Uh, And that's sort of a tangent, I guess. But um, yeah, there's definitely something to be said for professionals who can, uh, you know, follow their own advice, I guess. So, okay. uh, That's about all I really had. I just wanted to sort of touch on you know the preparation of all this i mean i, I don't, I don't want to drag in different uh organizations like the nsca or you know things like that obviously there are some standards there are some key textbooks that uh, undergrads follow um and you know often there's shadowing standards now even before you get to an internship that you're expected to actually go at least go shadow and watch uh, a professional, what, not, not just a physical therapist, or but even a strength coach. Like, what do they do? Like, what's it like to even be in that facility? You know, like Oliver, like you said, with people just fifteen guys staring at you. Like, what do you got for me, coach? You know, and I think uh, a lot of those shadowing experiences, because a lot of students they have in their mind maybe what what a strength conditioning coach is. Sometimes it might be, have a little bit of grandeur to it, delusion of grandeur. Uh, and it's important that they go actually see it. So they're not left, you know, with uh, – they go all the way through school and something. They're like, this is not what I thought it was. This is not what I want. Mm-hmm. You know, so that kind of shadowing stuff is is huge. I think it's funny, too, the, the hours. I think Phil can attest to the, the amount of hours you put in. It's insane. You're there because, yeah. you know, when people are free, it's super early and then super late. Mm-hmm. So you're there when the people are there, and that's all day. And I, I think a lot of the students – but they're working their rinky-dink part-time jobs scooping ice cream. And I'm like, if you haven't put in, if you haven't had like a, a big boy job, this this might not be for you. If you're not ready to be, you know, in in the in the mix all day every day, if it's not a passion, I, I don't think they, they'll have a rude awakening. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's it's not a nine to five job. <laughs> right. For me, it's a four thirty a.m. to nine job. Right. So. You know what? Uh, yeah. This is a and uh, and in a positive note because you're right. Talking about mental toughness, some of this just has to has to do with yeah long hours and never really even having to pull those kinds of brutal hours and, and be on your game. Right? It's not like you're um you're a landscaper and you can sort of slack off a little bit toward the end of the day or something. I mean, you have to be on. These people expect you to be fresh and you know motivating and instructional and. And all this other stuff, even if it is four thirty in the morning or nine o'clock at night, it's uh, and yet again to keep it positive. But I, I think virtually every strength conditioning professional that I've spoken to, they'll mention the long hours and sort of the bullshit hours, uh, or even the fact that you know it's not like sometimes you'll go to certain websites online and Phil, you know what I'm talking about, where mm-hmm. they they almost make these people look like celebrities, and that's that's not real. But they love it. Like a lot of strength conditioning people, they love what they do. And I mean, yes. t- to me, that's why one of the reasons you you work hard for something, whether they go to school or spend hundreds of hours, thousands of hours in the gym or years in the gym is, you know, you love it. Like your passion for it. And so it's it's amazing for, I mean, how many professions can say long hours, you know, not great pay. I still love it. Yeah. That's kind of remarkable, actually. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's like exercise in general. It's it's a business of passion. You know, as a, as a personal trainer, I wasn't making six figures, but I, I loved every day. I woke mm-hmm. up, I was there at 4 a.m. because my first client was a bus driver for the Metro in D.C., so he was up mm-hmm. weird hours. So 
I'm there 4 a.m., 10 p.m., the last client's done, and I walk out still smiling because that's just what I enjoy doing. Yeah, and and you're good at it. You know, when, when you're good at something, too, it's it, it's nice right. to be able to, to make a living out of that. So. All right. Well, that's all I got, fellas. So uh, thanks for joining us, Oliver. Yeah, thanks hey, for No problem. Us. Thank you. All right. Until next time, everybody, I'm going to shoot it out there again. Go to barbellopen.com. Oh, we'll be talking about that for sure in future weeks. Yep. <laughs> so, All right. Uh, thanks a lot. Hey, listeners. Have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums. And certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store uh, we also are accepting supporting members so for four dollars a month which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community the Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.